Thank you so much, Anouk. Bit of father-daughter action there. That's my, one of my beautiful daughters, just in case you didn't know, of whom I'm very proud. Um, so I want to talk to you about uh, prayer and miracles today. But before I do, I want to tell you a story about swimming, and particularly about uh, two brothers, one called uh, James and one called Mark. Uh, Mark, the older brother, used to absolutely love swimming, even from a very young age, and he was really, really good at it. James, on the other hand, his younger brother, really, really struggled. And the story is mainly about James. James remembers one time he had to go with his mum and Mark to one of Mark's swimming lessons. And James couldn't join the class because he was too young and not good enough, but his mum still made him get in the pool at the shallow end uh, while she watched Mark do his lesson. And James says this, I remember standing in the shallow end, grumpily watching the teacher instruct the students at the deep end of the pool. They were floating face down in the water, holding their breath for about 15 seconds before turning over and then floating on their back. They did this a few times and it didn't look too hard. I mean, I couldn't swim or really float, but I thought I could at least give holding my breath under the water a little go. So holding on to the side of the pool, I took a deep breath, bent over and just placed my face in the water. Sadly, after what could only have been a couple of seconds, my grip on the side of the pool failed. I overbalanced, ended up totally submerged, getting a gulp of yucky-tasting pool water in my mouth. Suddenly, my feet did regain grip on the bottom. I jumped up, coughing and spluttering. The whole incident probably lasted no more than a few seconds, but it felt much longer. Regaining composure, I looked around, hoping no one had seen. Thankfully, the class, especially my brother, were still lying on their backs. But the instructor and my mum were looking at me concerned and rather quizzical. In that moment, I decided swimming was not for me and I was not going to do it again. I got out of the pool and declared so to my mum. I don't remember what she said, but I do remember what happened next. By now, my brother's class was swimming lengths and the instructor came over to see if I was okay. And for some reason, I ended up telling him the whole story. I still don't know why to this day. The instructor did laugh and said, it was silly, said to me it was silly to give up because I had failed at something once. What really convinced me, though, is he promised that if I got back in the pool with him, he could make me hold my breath for longer than 20 seconds and beat my brother. I reluctantly went back in the pool. When in the pool, the instructor held out his hands and said I could place them in his, instead of using the side of the pool if I wanted. And he said, right, let's beat your brother. He instructed me to take one really big breath and then blow out as much of the air out of my lungs as I could possibly do. Then to take another deep breath, but this time hold it in and place my head under the water. I did as he said. After a few moments, he says, I'm going to count to five then I want you to just blow out a little bit out of your mouth and then stop, but keep your head under the water. Then he said the same again, and I let out a little bit more air. Finally he said, now just simply blow out the rest of the air that you've got in your lungs as slowly as you can, and when you've finished or feel uncomfortable, just lift your head out of the water. I followed his instructions and then lifted my head up excitedly, not even really out of breath. I took one short breath to re recover and said, was it 20 seconds? Did I beat my brother? He said, no. You did longer than that. It was almost 25 seconds. 
In that moment, I realized I did want to learn to swim after all. I love that story for two reasons. One, because I think swimming is really good, and if you can't swim, I think you are missing out. But second, and perhaps more importantly, it's because it shows the power of connecting with other people. This instructor noticed that James needed his help and went and connected with him and transformed his attitude through his actions and reintroducing him to the pool. It perhaps was a really good life lesson for James as well, not just to give up on something just because you fail. Homer's advice that he gives to Bart in The Simpsons is totally wrong. If you don't know what it is, it's, if something's too hard, son, just give up. But what's this got to do with miracles? Well, I want to just pause for a moment and ask you a question. Who do you identify with most in that story when it comes to praying for miraculous things or for big things? Do you feel like you're the older brother, perhaps in the deep end but still learning? Perhaps you feel like you're an instructor, an absolute pro, teaching and modeling good prayer to other people. Perhaps you feel like James at some point in the story, a beginner, not really sure, might try it occasionally. Or maybe even you're somebody at the moment that is totally out of the pool because you've tried and failed and you're not going back there again. Maybe you don't even think swimming pools exist. Who knows? But I want to say, if you don't think swimming pools exist, or you don't think it's for you, that is not the picture of prayer and the power of it that we get from Scripture at all. Nowhere does it say that miracles have stopped and that miracles can't happen through anybody's prayers anymore. Sure, the Bible, pass, Bible does talk about people that have gifts of healing and of miracles, but it does not say that they are limited just to those people. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. Jesus says that all of us can pray for anything in his name. So no matter where we are tonight, I don't want to promise that miracles are going to happen, but what I want to do is I want to just look at four things that I hope will be helpful for all of us to either get us back in the pool or perhaps moving a little bit more from the shallow end to the deep end when it comes to our confidence in praying to our awesome and powerful God. So let me pray really briefly. Lord, as we look at this wonderful passage from Acts in the early church, that demonstrates to us the power of prayer and the power of your name, Lord Jesus, will you speak to us right now? increased our trust in you and may we hear and know your will for our lives open us up again to how glorious you are we pray all these things in jesus name amen okay so the four things going to try not to take too long uh, to go through them all are this the first thing is cultivate a culture of prayer in your life Holly mentioned already last week, uh, we looked at some chapters from uh, verse 2. 
that immediately come before this passage that Anouk read to us and that the early church themselves devoted themselves to four things. Just to remind you, they are the apostles' teaching. That's what we do now when we uh, look at the Bible and spend time trusting God's word and have it um, and expound it and teach it, hopefully through talks and other things. Devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, koinonia. That's the idea that we're in this together, not just as a community, but even closer than that, as a family, brothers and sisters with the same heavenly Father, brothers and sisters in Christ and with the unity of the Spirit that each of us have. So the breaking of bread, that's sharing meals together and also gathering around the Lord's table as we remember him and the sacrifice that he made. And the final one they devoted themselves to was, of course, prayer. And this is what we see immediately afterwards, after this passage. I don't know if you missed it, but in verse 1, let me read it to you. Verse 1 of our reading said this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was at 3 in the afternoon. We see this devotion, this rhythm of prayer, this culture that the early disciples had of praying, both in their homes and then also going to the temple courts. Prayer was not a weekly thing. It was not even a daily thing. It was probably a multiple time a day they would pray. They had a lifestyle and a culture of reaching out to God. Had they not had this devotion to prayer, this miracle that we read about happening later on would not have happened for two reasons. First of all, they wouldn't have been there in the first place because <laughs> they were on their way going to pray. So if they weren't praying, they would never have met him. But second, maybe if they were there just by accident because that's the one time they were going there. If they didn't have a culture of prayer, they may have heard the man but not even thought to stop and pray for him. If we're feeling negative on prayer or we get down and we don't have a culture of praying, of praying and prayer, it can become like a vicious cycle, I think. We don't pray enough, or we don't pray, and then we don't see any answers to prayer. And then because we don't see any answers to prayer, we maybe get discouraged and not reminded to pray more. And so the circle can go on. The antidote, I think, is really simply, is to find a rhythm of prayer that works for you, a time and a place that you can pray. Put reminders on your phone, maybe at once or twice a day, where you can simply pause and pray. And if you don't know what to pray, can I suggest you just simply pray the Lord's Prayer? If you're in a rush, if you're at work, or if you're in the middle of the meeting, most of the people know it off by heart. If you don't know it off by heart, I suggest you try learning it. It's really easy to learn, and you can just pray it simply like that. That's the, the that prayer is what Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him how they should pray. He said, pray like this. But you can also, if you memorize it, use it as a template. You can pause at the end of each line and reflect on it as well, moment by moment. Our Father in heaven, you can reflect and thank thank God that this awesome, all-powerful, all-loving God is your Father. And you're in a close and uh, relationship with him. Hallowed be your name. Perhaps you want to think about how you want to honor God in your day ahead or in the moments ahead whenever you're praying. Your kingdom come. Why don't you want to pause and thank God for the goodness of his kingdom and perhaps good things that you've enjoyed and you want to say thanks to him about. 
your will be done on heaven and earth. Can you think of places or people in your, world, in your own world, but also in the wider world, that are not in line with God's will? You know, just turn on the news if you don't know what to pray for. There's lots going on. You know, Ukraine is just the biggest probably example at the moment, but there are many, many other things that we can pray for. Give us today our daily bread. What is it that you're on your mind and in your heart for the day ahead? What can you ask for God to help you? A peace or a confidence or whatever it is for the day ahead. Forgiveness and so on. I won't go through the whole, the rest of it because we'll be, you know, don't want to go on too long in my talk, but you can pause at, at, at each line, reflecting, praying. And I'm sure if you do that, you will see more answers to prayer. You will see your relationship with God growing and be more aware of him throughout the day and perhaps even more willing to stop and pray for other people. You know, praying on your own and having that time with God is something Jesus modeled in his life. He went out to be on his own and to pray to his heavenly Father. And it's crucial for us to develop and grow our relationship with God. We have our prayer room here open um, for people to come and pray with. We do daily prayer as well as a church every morning. Rhythms that people can use. But we're not supposed to just, as we develop this culture of prayer, we're not supposed to do it on our own. The second point, we're also supposed to connect with others. We're supposed to pray in community. And I want to say this really, really simply. If you never pray out loud with anyone whether it's one or two or even a small group of people, you are missing out on God doing incredible things both through you and for you. I'll say that again. If you never pray out loud with anyone else, you are missing out on God doing incredible things both through and for you. When I came back to my faith in uh, my very early 20s, I desperately wanted the gift of tongues, so I started praying to God that I would receive it um, daily for a long time, but it never happened. And then after that, I had sporadic bursts of trying, but each time it would not happen. I didn't tell anybody this for ages, probably nearly uh, 15 years, when I was talking to a guy named Paul Wallace, who I still know, he's at um, my previous church, wonderful man. And I just kind of like shared that I wanted to receive this gift but had, of tongues, but had um, never received it. I remember him asking me a very um, blunt question, because that's the kind of person he was, he is lovely. He says, well, have you ever got someone else to pray for you to receive this gift? And I had to rather sheepishly admit that I hadn't. I'd just been doing it on my own. So he prayed for me. Uh, once and actually nothing happened the first time. I thought nothing ventured, nothing gained, but I was, was quite disappointed. Anyway, he came back to me about a week later and he said, listen, I've been thinking and praying about what we chatted and prayed about and I've got this sense that God really does want you to talk in tongues, so we're going to pray again. And this time we were in church, so he took me to the back of his church uh, with, his, with, his, uh, with his wife and prayed again. And then he said to me, he said, I actually sense that God has given you this gift but you actually need to open your mouth and let a sound out and then it will just flow. And I was just, I don't know, quite foolishly, I was just expecting when I received the gift that my mouth would involuntarily start opening and you know, making all these sounds. So 
I rather embarrassingly just opened my mouth and started making a sound. And the moment I did that, I could speak in tongues and have been able to do so ever since. The transformation happened because I allowed and spoke to somebody else about it. I connected and they prayed for me and with me and helped me through this. Look at Peter and look at this event in here. Verse 4 says this, Peter and John, they were together. They, um, let me read it. They looked straight at this man and Peter said, look at us to the man. So the man gave them his attention expecting to get something from them. Peter and John were going together to pray together in the temple. And then they see this man and then they want a connection with this man. They want this man to connect with them. They look at him and ask him to connect, to look at them. I know it can be scary sometimes to think about um, praying in front of other people. I know a lot of people uh, find it scary. A lot of people have told me they find it scary. But I, I just want to use this analogy. I hope it's a helpful one. If you ever go and have a family meal and say you're the first, a big family meal and you're invited to a relative's house and you're the first person there and you're happily chatting away to the host that's invited you, then other people start to arrive. When other people start to arrive, does that mean you are not ever going to speak to the host that's invited you to the party while other people are around? That would be really rude and really odd, wouldn't it? That's kind of if we don't pray in front of other people. It's a little bit like, you know, we're all part of the same family. We all have the same father. We can all talk to him on our own and with other people. Now, if you're at that family deal, you, um, meal, you might have a special relationship with a person that's invited you, and there might be things you don't talk about when other people are around, but you would still talk to them. I just want to encourage you, it's not as scary as you think. Prayer is a conversation talking to our Heavenly Father that we all share. Pray with other people. Let other people pray for you. Do it with friends and family, people that you trust. Start small if it's scary and build for there. But do connect and pray with others. So that's my first two points. Um, culture of prayer, connect with others. Third point, value what is most important. Another question for you all to think about. What is the most important, strategic, life-changing thing you could ever do for another human being? There's so many things you could do. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I want to be an educator. And I could teach those who are illiterate to read. Or maybe you could go to medical school, become a doctor and help heal the sick. You could enter politics and pass laws to protect the vulnerable and serve the poor. We need lots of good politicians, don't we? But the list goes on. You could have, there's many, many more significant things you could do. And all of those make a difference. Good people are needed to do all of them. But they are not the greatest thing you can do for a person. They are not what is going to have maximum impact. The biggest impact 
won't surprise you for me, a minister, saying this. The biggest impact you can have on somebody is to introduce them to Jesus and invite them to have a relationship with him. That is what matters most. The gospel tells us that every life on earth, no matter what the circumstances, is better with Christ at the center of it. That liberation from guilt and shame through the grace of God. The spirit of God that gives us like a, a, a sense of true north and purpose and direction through all circumstances and much, much more. The next verse. Verse uh, what, four, whatever is it, verse four? Can't read, how many? It's six even. Then Peter said, hopefully it's coming up on the screen, yeah. Then Peter said, got this connection with the man. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he gets up and goes into the temple. You might not know this, but cripples weren't actually allowed into the temple, the place where they were um, supposed to be uh, connected to God, because um, people that were, were lame or, or were blind were not allowed that close to the holiness of God. It sounds a bit cruel in our time, and you know, it is, there's no getting around it. But this walking enabled this man to go into the temple court and dance and praise and be with God, to be close to him. What Peter and John did was the most incredible gift that they could give to this person. I often wonder what would have happened if um, Peter and John had had a couple of denarii in their pockets as they wandered past this man, whether they'd have just taken them out and kind of thrown them at him. I'm actually pretty sure they probably would have given him the denarii and then prayed for him as well because doing good deeds is really, really good. But they'd still have prayed for that powerful, um, still prayed in the powerful name of Jesus for healing. I want to share a quote for you by a guy called Penn Gillet. Um, Does anybody know the magicians, Penn and Teller? This is that Penn, okay? He says this, I'm an atheist. I don't respect people, you read Christians in that, who don't proselytize. Proselytize is sharing their faith and trying to convince other people to believe in Jesus. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell and that people could go to hell, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize, i.e. not to tell them about Christ? The man that Peter and John um, healed wanted money but he needed Jesus. And that name of Jesus made a huge impact in his life. And it still happens today. I read a a testimony this week of a guy named Brett. I don't think it was his real name, but this is a true testimony, whose uh, wife uh, was ill and became so ill that he had to give up his job to care for her and for their children and sort of run the home, which was not something Brett was used to. And things declined pretty quickly. Uh, Debts built up. There was a degree of chaos in the house and in the home and with the children. And one of his neighbours noticed what was happening and suggested he ask a church for help. He did. And the church helped. Meals were cooked. The house was cleaned. Homework got done. And the guy 
learnt Brett how to do these things for himself. The church also helped through a debt agency to help him clear the financial burden that he was under. But one night he found himself on his knees in the garden, crying out to God, whom those in his church had also spoken to him about. That's what he says made the biggest difference in his life. His life hasn't been the same since. That moment when he cried out to God made the biggest difference. All those other things were good, but becoming a child of God was the biggest difference. Doing good things makes a difference, but the miracle is meeting Jesus and introducing other people to him. Prayer and praying with them is a great way to introduce people to God. So my final point is we're to create a culture of prayer, we're to uh, connect with others, we're to remember what matters most, and the first thing, fourth thing is to simply trust God. If you don't know what kind of swimming pool that is, let me tell you, it's called an infinity pool. They have like edges that sort of float off and sort of you feel like they're falling down into infinity. Um, they are collected and recycled, but anyway, it's an infinity pool. It's kind of there to show that this pool has no end. Trust God with everything, with the answered prayer, but also in the unanswered prayer. I want to encourage you to get in the pool and stay in the pool. God's power is at work in us even when we don't realize it. Don't let a no, even a painful one, stop you from receiving a future yes. I should have put this verse in the slides as well, but I didn't. Ephesians 1 says that it is the same power that raised Christ from the dead that also lives in us. We have that same power that raised Christ from the dead in us through his Holy Spirit. We have that same power that Peter and John had when they healed that man in Acts at work in us. But again, I'm going to steal Tom's final point from last week as well as we talk about trusting God. Don't know if you remember his last point when he was talking about it. It was it said in the final verse, the Lord added to the number those who were being saved. It doesn't say the church added to the number daily those who were being saved or Peter and John or whoever else it might have been. But rather it's the Lord that does the growth. That saves people. Our job is to be faithful and trust in his power and call on the awesome name of Jesus as we do it, introducing people to him. Trust God, pray in his name, and act. After Peter and John prayed for that man, they reached out their hand and connected even more deeply with the man and helped him in his next step. Let's pray powerfully and let's act on those powerful prayers in faith. And God will do amazing things. Amen.